Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time. Because strength is never a weakness. All right, Brittany, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on Ecobolic Radio. Hope things have been going well for you. Thank you for having me. I'm super pumped to be here. Yeah, so we've known each other now for what seems like forever. We won't get into dates and times because I'm a gentleman, but for the most part, we've definitely seen an evolution in each other's careers. Our career goes all the way back to the Poliquin days when I was an instructor. That's when we initially met. You were in the pursuit of education to grow your own business. How much has changed, and this is something I want to get into a little deeper over time, but how much has it changed for you as a gym owner in Ontario, Canada, to what you're doing now, having expanded into a much more diversified portfolio and and basically business model? Give us a little bit of how you got into the gym business and where that has taken you today. Oh, goodness. (laughs) This is a loaded question. Hugely loaded. Hugely. (laughs) So uh, what got me into fitness and starting my own gym was, um, I'll tell you a little story about when I first got into all that. Um, I have always been an athlete growing up. I did uh, track in high school and then in college um, there was no track team. So I started running long distance, ran my first marathon, and I've always had this obsession with doing more. And that really led me down a path of, uh, getting into fitness competitions. Um, and then most recently I've got into powerlifting and just doing that. I wanted to soak up as much knowledge as possible, which really in turn had a lot of people asking me how to lose weight, how to get abs. And that was, I'd really say was the catalyst to, to starting to be a a trainer. And then I just got so fed up with the way that the corporate gym was ran that I decided, you know what, I can do this better. I can serve our clients better and I'm going to go out on my own. At that time, I was 21, so still pretty naive, and uh, and I'm grateful that I did that because I know a lot of people that are in their 30s, 40s, and the older you get, I've realized that uh, had I not made that decision early on, I probably... I don't know if I would make it now, but in the same sense, I would never go back to working for anyone else now because, I mean, uh, I've... I don't think I could be employed because I'm so picky about the way I do things. But it's been actually this is uh, 10 years I've been running the show. Now, I remember a big part of you getting into the gym business and opening up your own center was because you got tired of having to deal with the rules and regulations of the global gyms in your hometown. Like, absolutely, it's sort of weird that it became like a product of necessity. You got so tired of dealing with the bullshit of corporations telling you when you could lift, when you couldn't lift, whether or not you could drop weights, whether or not you could uh, do this or do that, that you're like, you know what, I need my own space and my own rules. And how long 
before you realized that owning your own gym was just the beginning of what you do now or your own training center? And when did you make the transition into, because the one thing that people are probably going to be curious to know is you've made a huge transition into the online platform for reaching people from a relatively small area of Canada. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it's really interesting because uh, when I first started out as a trainer, you're really trading your time for dollars. And my problem wasn't, to me, it's never been about the money. It's been how can I serve as many people as possible in a systemized way. And when I was working at a corporate gym, I noticed some consistencies that I didn't like. So number one being that depending on how you felt, if it was your first client in the morning or your last client in the evening, the information that you provided your clients could be completely different depending on how much energy you had, um, how many clients you trained in a row, and it wasn't consistent. And as somebody that has been on both sides of training, when you're the the client and you're paying you know 60 70 80 dollars an hour and there's not a consistency there that is not pennies right that's more than what most people um that's like four hours of regular people's pay right so um to me that was always an issue that i had that i wasn't comfortable with because it was hard to maintain that same level of service if you were training eight clients a day. And then you're also capped if you were training eight clients a day. And I remember specifically, I had a time when I was completely booked with clients and the gym I worked at still wanted me to sell more clients because that is something I I don't feel that I'm ever selling training. I just love what I do. So it's very easy to get people to, to sign up. And I remember I had uh, sold this um, mother and her two daughters and uh, they had signed up for a year, but they had went with another uh, coach. And so they'd signed up. It was like a $30,000 package for our club. And the first day with that trainer, they complained and they wanted a refund. They only wanted to train with me. I was like, I'm full. I can't, I can't train you. And that really started an issue because it's like, there's people out there that want your services and you're really limited to the amount of time. So that was another issue was the time and the quality. So that's why I kind of, um, branched it on my own because I had started doing a running program because like I said, I had, uh, ran a marathon and, uh, people had wanted to learn. So I had started a running program and we had, uh, it was the first time in our club's history that we actually ran a successful running program and it filled up so quickly that I ended up doing two running programs. So I ended up having about 60 people between the two programs and they saw tremendous results at a fraction of the price. And that's what really got me onto group training because Mm -hmm. not everybody can afford to pay 60, 70, $80 a session three times a week. I remember, um, back when I was training with one of the Poliquin trainers, I was paying $800 a month. And right. that was because, uh, you know, I, I was in my early 20s. I didn't have a house, didn't really have any payments. But for most people, it's just not realistic. It's not realistic um, at all. 
Yeah, especially with the um, the market that I serve, I serve a lot of women that are ages uh, like 30 to 50. So they don't have that kind of extra money. And I also felt too, when I was coaching one-on-one, people aren't, they're not as motivated. And you really are kind of being their cheerleader that whole hour. And it's exhausting. And I wanted, I wanted a better way that I could serve my members at a higher quality at a lesser cost. And what that came down to was the group training model, which um, I actually did a couple uh, personal studies where we take their, their photos, their measurements, a heap of other questions. And I pitted our PT clients against our group training clients. And hands down, 10 to 1, the group training clients always seen better results. And they were paying a fraction of the price. The group training clients were paying about $200 a month, whereas the PT clients were paying a thousand in twelve hundred dollars a month and the group training clients always saw better results so that brings up a really good question because i can relate that back to being a professional coach as well because what people often don't realize in the personal fitness side of it or the private sector side everyone's trying to charge that one-on-one premium and they sell the idea that they get exclusive coverage to the genius which is some personal trainer right that's really what Mm -hmm. they're trying to sell little do they know and I don't want to shit on anybody's dreams, but little do they know that the majority of NCAA and professional athletes, they don't get one-on-one attention. And we're talking no, about... they athletes. all train with coaches. They all train with coaches and they all train with groups and they all train with teammates. And, and it is arguable that they are being trained by some of the most qualified people in our entire industry. You know, the, the coach at, you know, the University of Iowa... He gets paid $600,000 a year as a strength director for a reason. It's not because he doesn't know what he's doing, right? So mm-hmm. if you're talking about a guy that's making that type of money and he's training groups of 25 or 30, and that's completely acceptable for a salary of almost a million dollars, then you can only assume that there must be a reason that group work works so well. And when you look at how you made that transition, you also have to acknowledge the fact, and you hit on a really really big point. Most big gyms, they make their money on a monthly quota. So if you sign up X number of people in the month of September, that money's used. So they have to Mm -hmm. sign up people again for the month of October because they need to have that monthly revenue coming in month in and month out. The problem with that is, is they're depending on the fact that a lot of people won't use their personal training. They'll quit. So like Mm -hmm. a global gym that I was working with years ago, I remember going through and looking at how they were setting up their personal training, how they were getting people to sign up for sessions. They had a statistic that showed that even though we only have five trainers and we have 3,000 people in our gym, you know, and we have a thousand of them with personal training, that's okay because most of them will never use it. Right? What kind of what kind of business is that? Like, that's not the kind of no, business that... I want to run. And, and that's what I found at the corporate gym that I was at. And what really ticked me off was I remember one of the, the trainers at the club that I worked at had, was awarded or was in the top 10 best trainers in Canada for that company. And oh my goodness. 
I asked, I said, how are, like, how are you in the top 10? And it was based on hours and how much revenue they had brought the company. It had nothing to do with the client's results. And I was like, this is fucking ass hat backwards. Like, right. come on. If you want to be like, I, I could not sleep at night if I was taking people's money and hoping that they wouldn't show up. To me, right. that is a not acting with integrity. Right. And I don't want to be here. It's just like all those multi-level marketing products, right? I, if you know better, you should know better and you should do better. Right. And I couldn't do any of those. And when I found out that she was in the the top 10 in Canada, I was like, fuck this, I'm out. Like if you're considered top 10 in Canada, I need to be somewhere that they are using a different metric system because this is horseshit. Like this yeah. is, um, you know, she didn't look like a trainer. She was mean to her clients. She bullied them into purchasing more personal training because they hadn't gotten results with her. Right. And it's like, how are you one of the best in Canada when your clients are having to renew because you didn't get them results? Like to me, a good coach works themselves out of a job because they are getting their clients results. Now, right. I'm not saying all my clients are going to go and leave because I am co constantly continuing my education right. and I want to be able to give my clients more. But in essence, if your client comes to you, it's like, <laughs> it's so simple. If you go to the dentist and you ask them to fix your, your tooth and you don't fix their tooth, and you have to come back 10 more times, did you do your job? Yeah. No, fuck no. No. no, you know? But it's it's apparently only in personal training is this accepted. Yep. And it's like, why, this should not be accepted. If you went to an auto body shop and you tried to get your vehicle fixed and they didn't do it, would you accept to continue to pay for them to fix it when they didn't do their job? Like, no. And so mind much, it's mind boggling because it comes back to the fact that personal training feeds on and relies on the fearful insecurities of those that don't know better. So mm -hmm. they can continuously manipulate that and those that don't have a good moral compass will do so because they will continuously put the onus back on the person. Okay, you didn't have success because of this, not because of me. You need to buy more sessions because you're not committed enough. You know, the oldest uh, sellout that you see in the personal training industry is if someone isn't having success, they immediately put it back on them that they must be eating too much or... I'm only with you an hour a day. The other 23 hours of the day are on you. So you must be doing those 23 hours wrong. And what you're saying is, no, it's an education process. I keep my clients because when they come through the door, they're in kindergarten. I'm in grade 12. By the time that they get to the fifth grade, I'm a freshman in university. By the time they... <laughs> By the by, the time Jax tells you what's going on in the background, um, <laughs> yeah. he's heated on this as well. He's heated. So by the time that uh, they get to the level that you started at with them, if they stay with you that long, where they legitimately have a twelfth grade education and personal training, you should be in a doctorate program. Like, and that's how the process happens. As your knowledge and experience and understanding of the field increases, their ability increases. And, and for the most part, that's where it should be. Like in a perfect training environment where you're not having to do a lot of hand holding or, or 
basically unnecessary stuff, your client should get to the point where they can do some of the basics, like come in and warm up, come in and roll out, come in and mobilize. They should get to the point where they can do that on their own so that when your session starts at 10 a.m., they've been there since 9.45, and at 10 a.m., you don't have to warm them up. At 10 a.m., you hit the ground running. So when you started to realize that that was sort of the situation that you were in and you needed to make that, that bust out in your early 20s, and you went into your own center and your own training facility in Ontario, and you started to incorporate the group stuff, which you said you had more success with, what do you think it was about the group training that gave them a better incentive to be committed and successful than the one-on-ones? The accountability from everyone else. Yeah. We always survey our members after um, throughout their programs just to see how we're doing to check in with them, not only for their benefit, but also to get their feedback of what we can do better. Right. And the biggest thing that we found, we always ask, you know, what has been the, the, the number one thing out of this program that you found like really beneficial. And they, a lot of times it's the accountability Mm-hmm. that comes with the group environment because they're not just letting me down, they're letting eight, nine, ten other women down. And if you if you weren't in that session, you your Facebook was blown up because there were nine women wondering where you were. Mm-hmm. And how powerful do you think groupthink is? Not only to sport, because we've seen it work. I mean, what do you think it is in, in terms of the accountability in sports, we see it. Obviously, you know, you win a Super Bowl because it's a team effort. People can get picked up by those that are up. People that are, are down don't often get left behind. But with the accountability of the group training that you're having success with, when you start to look at the psychological side of it and how people start to motivate each other, the accountability, your ability to impart a message that affects more people simultaneously. How do you as a coach, in a sense, set up the, the success with that group? Like what are, what are things that you do with them as a group that you may not do with one-on-one PTs? That's a good question. Um, hmm. <laughs> you're going to be stumped here. I would say that really the difference is that it's more of uh, more – I would say it's almost like less handholding, like you mentioned earlier. It's more, I think back to my like track and field days and you're there with a team of other people. So you're not constantly relying specifically on your coach. Right. Usually people break down into smaller groups of two or three. If we're doing, for example, like A1, A2 and they're supersetting exercises, they're working with someone. So, and I remember reading a study, I didn't read the study to prove anything, I just happened to come across it. And I thought, you know what, that's really true in training that two people together are not as good as three people training because two people will chat with each other, whereas three people, one person's more than likely going to say, okay, guys, let's go. Or if two people are having a bad day, there might be somebody that is having a good day. So they're balancing it out. And I really found that that was really beneficial from a coaching standpoint, because you weren't constantly having to tell everybody everything because one person would have remembered 
the foam rolling and the other person would remember some of the mobility ball and lacrosse ball work. And the other person might remember some of the, the, uh, other mobility exercises we might do. So you're not constantly having to remind them they're learning from each other. And when they're learning from each other, when you're teaching to somebody else, it's reinforcing the knowledge that you already know. So that was really beneficial, I found, in the group training environment. And, and you, you bring up an interesting point because I've had a number of buddies that have gone into the private sector for coaching professional athletics. None of these coaches are doing one-on-one sessions, um, the ones that I'm in reference to. And they're probably the most successful, especially with NFL athletes, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of sixty to $70,000 months in revenue in the off-season from actual coaching. Um, and people often think that that number is too big to understand. And what they have to realize is, yes, they're charging a premium, but more importantly, they don't share one hour with one person. They're sharing one hour with three, four, or five professional athletes that are also paying a premium. The reason being is quite simple. Most professional athletes, A, come from a background where they don't train one-on-one with a coach because it's just not in their ingrained system. And two, they may not have anything in common with that coach. And if they're going to be spending that much time with the person, it becomes very monotonous and boring and they don't like it. So what these guys realized early on, having been most of them from an athletic background themselves, is that you supply the information and you supply the expertise that's going to you know, critique and make adjustments. But as a coach, it isn't your job to sit around for 55 minutes and talk about life. It's, it's a waste of that hour. Now, if you, Absolutely. Right? if you put those three or four guys in a group, they're going to bullshit amongst themselves. And they're going to communicate and talk and push and chat. But you now don't have to entertain you just oversee and run the program and they can entertain each other. And what he found and what these coaches that do this found is that was the easiest way to get progressive camaraderie, to get people pushing each other without him having to stand behind them with his foot on their back all the time. And the athletes did not get tired of the sound of his voice. Because one of the issues that people have with one-on-one training is there becomes dead air, just like a radio program, where Mm -hmm. if you don't have anything interesting to say, you end up just sitting there for a minute and a half staring at each other, waiting for the set to start. And the problem is, is when you do that all the time, eventually there gets to a point where you're like, maybe we should shorten the rest because this is starting to make me uncomfortable, right? And it goes against what you're trying to do is have a systematic approach. Now you take three people and put them in a group, they can burn up 90 seconds pretty quickly waiting for the exercise to start because they can actually have a social interaction that isn't taking away from the work that's about to be done, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start working with these groups and you start talking to them about the cell, about why working in groups is going to be a better fit for them than one-on-one. Because there are people that have been trained and convinced that if they're not getting one-on-one focus, that the quality is not there. How do you make that adjustment? How do you make that sell that it's like, listen, not okay, we can tell them it's going to cost less, but sometimes that's not enough for people. Because some, some people want the Maserati version of a thing, even though they don't mm-hmm. really need it. So how do you get them to step back and be like, no, you need to train in a group. It's better. 
Um, that's a great question. The big thing that I found was with group training versus uh, personal training is that exactly what you just said. It's it's more of the um, women, right? Women say they aren't um, competitive, but a lot of women really are secretly deep down. And I remember this specifically because we had, I can't, I'm not sure if you remember me telling you or showing you a video of the prowler challenge who could right. push the most on the prowler. And it was so funny because the girls are like, Oh no, I don't want to try that. I don't want to push more than so-and-so. Right. And then it's just like, total different persona we see and and we start loading the weights on and that that's when you see in the competitive side come out right because these women I remember them like adding the weights on like barely being able to push it and the whole the whole gym was just like cheering and screaming because they're just like oh my god okay they did that I can do that too and that was really what sold it it was that you're I, I can motivate people, but if people typically see a coach on a different level, right? You said mm -hmm. kindergarten versus high school. Whereas when you're training with somebody that is in your same like stat range, your same training age, well, a lot of women really want to be able to, to do better than so-and-so. Right. And you can't get that in a one-on-one -on -one environment. Right. I agree 100%. And how long now have you been working in this world? Like, what would be, if you were to give someone a time frame of how long it took you to figure out that PT was okay, PT plus group option was great. Like, how long did it take you to make that association? And then how long now have you been doing the latter? So I started coaching in 2008 so this is my 10th year and I opened my gym up in 2010 um I would say really within within my first like six to eight months of working for the corporate gym I realized that group training was the way to go because of that running clinic I did just seeing the uh, the ability because people, the women wouldn't want to stop if they were tired because so-and-so is still running and they would think, well, I'm healthier than her. Or I'm fitter than her. So right. they keep running even though they don't want to, they, but they don't want to be the one that stops first, right? They don't right. want to be known as that person. So it was really quickly. And, and I've come from, um, like a, com uh, competitive background and I've always worked with a team. I've right. never worked one-on-one, -on -one. even when I got ready for my first fitness competition, I never, um, trained one-on-one -on -one with my coach. It was always in a group atmosphere. Right. So I did do personal training with one of the, uh, Poliquin coaches that was one-on-one, -on -one, but like you said, it was boring as fuck because right. you were just talking to one other person. And, and I know, personally, that's not what motivates me. I like to be around a lot of high energy in the gym. That's what gets me pumped to work out. And just being one-on-one -on -one with a coach, I was like, this is so, that's not my personality for right. me. Um, and even if I'm in the gym with other people and I'm not necessarily talking to them, their energy, watching what they're lifting, if I'm tired, well, I'm not going to give up because, you know, 
whoever could be watching. And well, I don't want to not do something that they think I'm capable of doing. Right. Uh, so that's really been, uh, been it for me. And it was really quick in my career. Like I, as I didn't do, even at my, my personal gym, I think I only trained, I think I only had about five PT clients because for me, I can train 10, 15 clients in an hour. I would see in the evening, I'd see 45 to 75 women. Whereas in the morning, um, I, when I had some PT clients, I'd only see four people in the same amount of time. Right. 100%. And you're having to depend on such a premium for those four people. And what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, one of those people gets sick or one of those people gets injured or quits or just moves out of town, your revenue just decreased by 25%. Whereas mm -hmm. if you have one person get sick or have to take a month off from group training, it has a much smaller impact on your bottom line. Mm -hmm. and and when you see one of the big things, Brittany, like from an outsider's perspective that you've done differently than almost anybody else I've met is you have developed a very large marketing ability, even in a very small community. So you realize that, okay, if I'm in a smaller town in Ontario, I'm not in Toronto, I'm not in a center where I can just literally use a sweeping pull of anybody walking down Young Street, like you're in a situation where you're like, okay, I have to be a little more specific. I have to be a little more creative. I'm competing for the same group of people that, you know, these other couple gyms are, and there's not a lot to go around. And you've done a really good job of creating quite a significant social media marketing system for yourself, but also branding yourself in a way that you reached out and you got onto local television. And how, mm -hmm. when and how did that play into it? And what made you think, okay, I need to get on TV because this is going to help grow my brand and separate me. I need to understand how to set up complex websites. I need to move into Facebook Live. I need to do all these different things that people are always a little bit slow to do for some reason. And you've always been a step ahead in those parts that separated you business-wise. What really is the motivating factor for that? Because not everybody has it. Well, <laughs> thank you. I would have to say that for me, I think it's you know, we've kind of talked about personality types before, and I really have that I'm not following somebody else's past personality type. Right. And uh, I I want to do what I want to do. And for me, it's been like, okay, I've always felt in the industry being a female, especially because I started out very young in comparison. And when I started out, there were not many female coaches mm -hmm. and the ones that were out there didn't necessarily have the best reputations. Like, like I remember talking to you. Like Jillian Michaels, everyone had to yeah. be a real ball buster, right? Like it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And, and really, yeah. And, uh, and that's not what I wanted to be. So for me, I always felt that I had to really show what I knew. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really kind of where all of my wanting to be better came from. Because I always felt that if you compared and I and being in a small town, I heard it all the time. Well, I'll just go and train with so and so. And that to me was like, well, I know stuff too. Like right. I've taken so many courses and that um, it didn't hurt my feelings. It 
gave me drive to become better. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that I was, I've always been open to, uh, feedback because I, I remember at the corporate gym I worked at, they talked about, um, they wanted to be like the best in the world for personal training. And I thought, well, you're really not because there's so many things that you're missing here. And for me, it was like, okay, how can I be the best, the best, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that I'm the best, but how can I help my clients be their best? And in order to do that, you have to really learn a bunch of different avenues. Like I know some of the past trainings I've taken, it's a lot of the all or nothing approach of how to do nutrition. And that is, you know, great if you've got an athlete that is really high up that needs to be exactly precise to make their body weight, whatever it is. But when you're dealing with moms who have two kids that are making them, you know, PB and jam sandwiches and they have 15 minutes to either make something for breakfast or they're not making anything at all. Well, having a meat and nut breakfast is not the best thing to suggest right. from somebody who just went from not having any breakfast at all. It's it's not um, realistic. And I kind of got off on a little tangent there, yeah. but to yeah. pull that back to um, the, the TV show and how I got on uh, TV Kojiko, I've now been with them for seven years. Um, it was, I wanted to be known as an expert. So for me, uh, luckily I was still very naive at that age. And I had, I had sent them an email and I said, Hey, I'm a fitness trainer. You know, would you like to do, um, if you're interested, I'd like to do some like free videos for your network. And Hey, the biggest thing is a lot of people never ask, right? They don't ever ask anybody. So, yeah. So I'm going to stop you right there. Cause you hit on something that is really interesting. You said, I would like to do some free videos. I would like to offer you my knowledge for free, right? Mm -hmm. Dana, Dana Santos, who is one of the most successful breathing mobility yoga coaches in professional sports. That's how she acquired her positions through the basically the extension of being an expert. She, she needed to get people to see what she was capable of. So she wrote and sent books that she had written. So she wrote a cover letter and a book to every single professional sports team in every professional sport. And all it was was, please take a look at this. This is what I would do. I would like a meeting if it's possible. No guarantees, wow. right? Yeah, and now she's worked literally with everybody and she continues to work with everybody. But you guys both make a very similar point is you had to go out and pursue it. Nobody came looking for you to be like, hey, Brittany, how about you hop on TV for us and we'll, we'll give you a bunch of exposure. You had to go to them and be like, this is what I'm willing to do for free. Do you want it or not? And so when they obviously said, sure, we'll take a look, how did that continue to progress? Um, we had done, or Kojiko gets statistics from the network to determine how many people are watching the each show. And uh, I was actually um, one third of all of their local television shows that were watched. So every year... I was getting renewed for, um, and actually 
Well, I can't tell you because <laughs> I was going to tell you something, but I can't tell because not everybody has the opportunity that I have. So I'm just going to pretend you cut that part out there. Yep. But it's, um, you know, it's actually branched. Uh, two summers ago, we actually did a pilot for a cooking show. So a healthy cooking show. So it definitely opened up another avenue because people were enjoying the we did a home. It's a home workout series. So um, it's with very little equipment. The workout is like 15 to 20 minutes long. So it's people that wouldn't necessarily go out to go to the gym on their own. You know, they might be a little bit intimidated, but they can still do something. Something's always better than nothing. So uh, it's a, a home workout series that they can do with a little bit of equipment at home. Right. And when you look at what you've done and how it's progressed over the last 10 years, obviously you're in a position now where you've taken a lot of this information, used it for yourself, growing your business, continue to grow your business. But a lot of people listening are going to be like, okay, if Brittany's able to pull this off in Brockville, Ontario, which has a very small user population, how can I take what she's done or how can she give me a couple tips or information that I can use to try to build my brand or my product in, say, uh, Boise, Idaho or you know, uh, Missoula, Montana, right. Or fucking Calgary, Alberta. So like if people are listening and they're like, okay, this is awesome, but I could use a little help. I need some tips and tricks. So my first, um, tip on a side note, shout out to Boise, Idaho. Cause, uh, <laughs> one of my business mentors is there. Oh yeah. So, nice yeah, city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, the first tip I would say would be to check your ego. A lot of people, when they do something and it doesn't work, they blame something else. Oh, it's because I didn't, I didn't do this or, you know, these people just didn't want my, um, you know, screw them or whatever. Like I remember when I was working at the corporate gym and somebody wouldn't buy personal training, they, and this was another kicker, which is why I laughed because I specifically remember, and I wish I would have recorded it at that time because I specifically remember a trainer saying, well, you know what? They can stay fat. And I was like, um, you know what, what? If, if somebody doesn't buy, what could you have done better to convince them? To me, it's go over what you did and how can you make it better? Like you right. can't become the best if you are going to blame everything else. If you're going to point your finger everywhere else. And for me, a lot of this process has been pointing the finger at myself and saying, okay, if that didn't work, that's cool. That's how you learn. What could I, how could I improve this next time? What worked well and what didn't work well? And I find a lot of people, um, even in the coaching, that's one of the big things that we teach actually is we talk a lot about ego, how it negatively affects people's progress because a lot of people are pointing their fingers everywhere else. And in business, you really need to ask yourself, okay, and, and don't be upset just ask yourself, okay, I always do um, an after uh, after launch review. So after we do a product or a program launch, I go, I go through every day, every email that we sent out. I look at the open rates, the click rates, and say, okay, what emails worked really well? How can we try to use a similar email style next time? What emails didn't have a high click-through rate? Okay, 
why why do I think they didn't have a high click through rate and really just asking questions um, and the second thing I would say to people is to if you really love this like don't give it up there there I, and I remember I think we talked about this before there are coaches out there that have no idea what they're doing right but they are they have a huge following or they're making tons of money and there's coaches out there that are some of the greatest coaches in the world that people don't even know about. Right. So I always, to me, it's kind of like how people uh, are comparing themselves in the gym to other people. It's the same thing. If there's somebody out there that, you know, no offense to them. If, if you feel you're more knowledgeable, you're more qualified and they're more successful, then you can do it too. Because if they're doing it on less knowledge, then you are absolutely capable of doing it. And that, and that for me, I've always seen, you know, there's, Definitely people that have more Instagram followers, um, more Facebook friends and likes and stuff like that. And for me, it's like you, um, there is a really good short uh, article. It's called A Thousand True Fans. And I think it's only a couple paragraphs. I can't remember the author's name, but it talks about all you need is a thousand true fans to, to really make the life that you want. Right. You don't need 10K followers or 100K followers because if those are people that aren't really, I've seen a lot of people over the last couple of years buying followers yep. and then you actually look at their photos and the engagement and they might it's have really... 100K followers and they have like three comments and two yep. of them are in a language. <laughs> or yeah. you know, it's a bot and it's like, okay, to me, that is a less reputable brand than somebody that actually has engagement like for yep. example you i notice you usually have like 20 or 30 comments on all of your posts and it's right. they're real people and yes. that is more valuable than you know 100k followers of, of from a bot farm in the philippines yeah with no engagement and and i struggled with that initially because i thought i was doing something extremely wrong i was like okay how can i only have x number of followers this doesn't make sense it's always the same people i'm like how do i grow my brand and then I sat down with somebody that understands Instagram really well a few weeks ago, and she broke it down. And this was somebody that had done it both ways. So in the early days, she built her account up to 50,000 uh, very quickly. And she did it following a system, a system that she studied and learned. She was a doctor, she's so very bright, so she had a couple edges on most people. But she realized that the system that, a lot of social media uses is algorithm based, but they keep changing the algorithms to prevent what we think of now as spamming or bot based programming where computers are doing all the work and they keep changing it. And what she discovered is a lot of people that are getting, you know, a huge amount of followers from the early days of Instagram are actually being blacklisted in the sharing category of the current Instagram algorithm. And so what we discovered is when I was, you know, 10% of the followers of another person, I was getting more exposure on Instagram than that person was because their accounts had been black flagged due to the fact they'd been using bots and technology and the algorithms that social media uses now can actually tell. They can pick that up. So one of the things that people have to understand is if, your social media is not genuine, as in you didn't grow it organically, 
you get blacklisted. The reason being is because Facebook and Instagram make their money off of specific target advertising. And they know that if a bunch of robots are your followers, that your account has no value to them because they're not going to pay money to show advertisements to robots. Right. And people don't realize this. So they thought that they were becoming really famous and all of a sudden the dollars aren't rolling in because they're actually not getting their product out there. Whereas you've worked in a relatively small market and made a significant amount of income because you realized that you had to put quality into those that were available instead of quantity, hoping that you're going to get a trickle down effect from that. So when you look at the future now and you look at where you think you want to go with this, what is the next step for you? Because if you want to grow your business and you want to grow your brand and grow what you've done, some of it is going to be in-house and some of it's going to be with the people you get to work with face to face. But there's got to be another evolution for you because you are very young and you're still got years left of growth in terms of both self and product. So what do you see as the next step for you? Because you've always sort of been a step ahead of everyone else. So where do you see yourself going? Thank you. I, I totally agree with that. I always try to be a step ahead of everyone. But for me, actually, um, a couple of years ago, I started actually doing some business mentoring. Yep. So I've really, really enjoyed that. And that is where um, I'll be transitioning to right now I no longer coach clients I just oversee the coaches that uh, I have working for me yep but for me I'd really like to get into more um, of the business coaching side of things because there are a lot of coaches out there that are it's like you can go to school to be a doctor you can go to school to be really anything but the exception really is personal training. Right. The over here in Canada, we have like a what, a four day CanFit Pro course to become a certified personal trainer. Right. But statistically, most personal trainers barely make the what Canada considers to be the the income of poverty over here. Right. Because the course, the four day course doesn't give them the information they need on the business side of things. It doesn't tell them how to systemize their program. It doesn't tell them how to bring in more clients. And right. really, um, a lot of people think to bring in more clients, you need to charge less. And a really great way of thinking that I've adapted at a very early age because I don't believe in being cheap. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be Walmart. I right. want to be seen as Starbucks. And you can't have both. You can't have a cheap quality product. um, Or sorry, you can't charge uh, a cheap price but have an exceptional quality product. You look in any market, you look at um, like a Jaguar, you look at BMW, anything like that. And those are not cheap, but people still buy them. Right. So for me, a lot of coaches start off the opposite way. And and actually with some of the clients that I was, I started as my very first business mentoring clients, they were only charging like, Oh, $99 for 12 weeks. And I'll tell you the shit storm that they got into. Um, the problem is when you don't charge enough, you have to take a lot of clients to be able to make enough to pay for your mortgage, your heat, your hydro groceries, whatever. 
But the problem is, and this is a cycle that I see a lot of businesses get into, that they do these $27 first month things. If you can't provide good service, if you can't provide exceptional service at that low barrier to entry cost, guess what? No one is going to pay you, you know, 10 times that because they're going to think they're going to get the same shitty service. Why would they pay $150 a month when you couldn't even give them what they wanted at $27 a month? So what's happening is a lot of people are getting in these leads. And the other part too, is that if people are only signing up for $27, are those really the type of clients you want? If they're always going to be looking for the next best deal, are they going to stick around when you, your promotion of the $27 a month ends? No, they're one of those people that's going to program hop to the next Groupon deal that they see. And I don't want a client for a month because we invest a ton in our clients to educate them on what they need. And I don't, I don't want to take someone for a month. Our minimum is, is 12 weeks. And once they sign up for 12 weeks, they have the option to continue on for an additional year. But we don't take anything less than a year after that 12 weeks because I'm not putting like our coaches are not putting as much effort and time into somebody to only have them leave after a month. I right. don't, I don't want that client to me. That is not a grade a client. And, so, and it leaves a lot of gaps in your reputation if something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? And really from a, tra- a training standpoint, I know you know this, but I just have to reiterate for your listeners here that if you have a client that comes in and they're very resistant to change, even though they say they want to make changes and they're resistant and they're still eating certain foods, you know, you're not doing the 80 20 yet because they have a couple diet cokes throughout the day or whatever it is. Um, how much change are you going to be able to show them in a month? Yes, you could have them eating a specific way, you could give them a meal plan, but if they don't follow it, they find it's too challenging. Well, they're going to leave anyways. But then on the flip side, if you don't get them results, well, now they're going to leave. I don't want somebody to commit for a month because this isn't a fad diet. What we teach our clients isn't something that's going to be a a lose 10 pounds in one month thing. Like this is a long-term thing. A lot of our clients are down 35 and 45 pounds because they've realized, they've learned that this is a lifestyle change. It's not a diet. It's something that's going to take them continuous daily effort, but we're going to get them there in the easiest way possible. We don't want to make it super challenging because people are going to give up. Like that is such a common thing because people think they need to go, um, you know, zero to a hundred and you don't need to do that. You just need to take the next step. So if you're somebody that has, 10 Cokes a day, and I've had clients that, that drink 10 Cokes a day. Well, what about having nine Cokes and one water? Like, right. Because, and simple, this is like, simple changes. Oh my God, people, like I see so many coaches that are like, I'm going to make this perfect meal plan. It's like, guess fucking what? If they don't like broccoli, they're not going to follow your meal plan. Yep. And the other thing is too, people don't realize that a lot of people that have had these health habits for a long time, if you give them a meal plan, I had a client the other day that um, said that she didn't know how to make eggs. Okay. Right, so if you right. give somebody a meal plan that says have, you know, a, a cup of egg whites and they don't know how to make eggs and you haven't discussed that with them, 
Well, guess what? They might be, if, if they don't have that comfort level with you, they're not going to tell you that they've never made an egg in their life. Right. And guess what? You're, you're going to be giving them eggs in their meal plan and they're going to be lying because you know you haven't made them feel comfortable to discuss that with you. And where is that getting you in your relationship with your client if they don't feel that you're not going to make fun of them because they don't know how to make an egg? So it really, what we focus on with our clients is what they're already eating. How can we change what they're already eating to make small improvements? Yep. And the other part with that too is that when you help your clients with where they're at now, a lot of trainers try to get them to bring their client to where they're at. It's like you have to meet your client where they are at right now because if they're somebody that has 10 Cokes a day, they've never made eggs before, they've never eaten vegetables, and all of a sudden you just gave them a meal plan with 150 grams of protein and you put them on all green vegetables, well, guess fucking what? They're not going to do that, no. and you just made them feel like fucking shit, and they yeah. already probably felt like that. It And a lot of people don't realize what it takes a client to – admit that they need help a right. lot of people think that they can do it on their own and when they when they realize that you know okay maybe i need some help that could have been like i had clients that told me that when they signed up for a program they were crying to their spouse because they were so scared and people take that for granted that yeah. somebody trusted in us to help them make a difference. Right. They, when there are so many other people in the market that they could have helped, and a lot of people, and I remember this, um, and I'm sure you can think of people who are like this, that act like it's a privilege to train with them. Oh. And I think the total opposite the to opposite, me is like, right. it's a privilege that I can coach you because there's a thousand other people out there that you could have chose. And out of those thousands of people, you chose me to coach you. 100%. And for me, it's an honor. And I, everything we do, it's to, to show appreciation that that we appreciate that that they chose us. So every decision, every business decision, everything we do, like today actually, we had a client that posted um, she's taking care of her uh, her mother. Her mom lives at home with her. She also works full time, so she's really busy. And today she happened to post in our private Facebook group saying, you know, I'm really overwhelmed. We have our clients uh, track their macros. And she's like, I'm just feeling like I, I can't do all of these things. And it's like, you know, a lot of coaches would say, well, come on. How bad do you want this? If you really want this, it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like this person already feels really bad for saying this they already feel like they can't do everything they already know that they yep. know it and our job isn't to point out what they're doing wrong our job is to say you know what that's totally cool let's take a step back and say what can you do instead yep. you know what let's let's focus on um for the next couple of weeks let's do intuitive eating right. and just eat how you feel like you know you've 
this client specifically has been with us for eight months. So they, they probably don't even need to track macros because right. they're aware of their portion sizes. So we have asked her, you know, what do you think? Um, and we, we use the term bam, bare ass minimum. Yeah. What could be your bare ass minimum for this weight this week that would make you feel like you're, you're doing it right. right. You don't have to do it all. You're, you're not a pro athlete. They have no desire to be, you're just trying to live your life and be fit at the same time. Yep. So let's take a step back and, and let's come up. And a lot of times a really good book that, uh, has really helped me. It's called motivational interviewing. And they actually reference it in the precision nutrition course, which I've also taken. And in the, the motivational interviewing, it really talks about meeting your client where you're at or where they're at, but also asking them questions and a really great analogy that I'll share with you, but I don't want to share because I, people are going to use it and they're not going to, they're not going to one understand the true meaning and two, they might not coach like this. I'm going to share it with you anyways. Um, but in motivational interviewing, they say that people often go to coaches because they, so think of a, a well, okay. Like with, with water, a lot of people go to a coach thinking that their well is empty and they need a coach to fill their well up. But with motivational interviewing and a great coach, it's that a client actually has a full deep well and they just need help getting the water out. So the client already has everything they need. They just need a coach that's going to be able to help them bring it out of themselves. Right. And if you're a coach that's constantly belittling your client to boost your own ego, you're never going to see the greatness in those clients because you're trying to fill your own ego where it, you should be helping your clients. It's like the expression, there's two ways to have the, the tallest tower in the city. And it's by knocking everybody else down or by bringing everybody else up. And for me, it's, um, I remember seeing actually on a hairstyling Instagram page, uh, a hairstylist had made like a, a sticker on their client and said, we always treat our clients as if they're wearing this sign. And the sign said, make me feel special. Right. And that hit home with me so much because a lot of the times coaches act as if clients are privileged to train with them. And it's the total opposite. We are really privileged to have those people. Hmm. I couldn't agree more. It, it's, uh, it's really nice to hear people sort of echo those sentiments that some of us understand, a lot of us overlook the idea that we should be firing anyone that doesn't fit us and we should not be taking on any client that doesn't allow us to shine at our brightest ability as a coach. But in reality, the best coaches in the world are taking people from any level of development any state of existence and working with them to reach or to achieve another level that they have yet to experience. It's taking the advanced to the exceptional. It's taking the beginner to the beginning. And when I think of that, I, I think it's really important the message that you say, because I can attest to your success. I know how successful you are. Um, I know how, how, comfortable the income is because of this model for you. And I know that it works. And because of that, it gives me a lot of confidence because I know that you're doing it the right way. And people that are listening can take my word for it, that the methods that you're using 
are the methods that have been most successful, even in a limited market share. And when you think of sort of closing thoughts on the topic, um, and when you think of like one or two things that you really wish you could pass on to somebody that's listening today, what are sort of two capping thoughts that you're like, if you can just put these two things into practice over the next six months, they helped me, I think they will help you. I just have to um, reiterate what I said earlier there about not giving up. Yep. So for me, uh, one of my business mentors uh, complimented me on the fact that I am really resilient. I have had a lot of things come up that I just don't, I don't give up. Like to me, that is really not an option. And I find a lot of people will, um, it kind of comes to play into the the next thing, which would be don't let your ego Uh, get the best of you. And a lot of people will give up very easily or they'll beat themselves up mentally about, oh, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And a lot of people focus on what they lack, right? Right. They focus on, I can't do this. I don't have enough money, blah, 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 blah. And I really focus on abundance instead. So for example, like I have enough money I need to do the things I I want. Like I, there are many coaches out there that make a lot more money than me. And to me, it's not about the money because I live a very minimalist lifestyle that is very cheap. I also live in the middle of nowhere in Canada. So, uh, you know, it's very cheap to live here. And for me, like Time is the only thing I want more of. So uh, to find that for me, it was um, doing what I love, but also making more time and not allowing my ego to get the best of me and always, uh, always wondering, really, a lot of people are, and I actually was just listening to a podcast, my favorite podcast. um, It's called, uh, oh my God. Uh, it's with James Wedmore, and I just absolutely love him. And his podcast is uh, Mind Your Business Podcast. Really great yep. guy. If you can have him on your podcast, like, oh my God, he's just the best. And he uh, today he was talking about how people um, are focused on what they lack, and that is really hindering you when you're focusing. It's very easy to focus on all the things you're not good at. And it's very easy to beat yourself up. But in the same sense, if you're focusing on the abundance in life, a lot of people say, I don't have enough money to do the things I want. And, and James didn't say this, this is something that I've, I've recently done, but people say, I don't have the money. And it's like, sit down and ask yourself, what do you want? You can afford to do the things you want. Like I love paddleboarding. I love going camping. I love going snowboarding. I love going um, biking with my two dogs. And all of those things are relatively cheap. So it has nothing to do with finances. It has to do with time. And for me, it was sitting down and asking myself, okay, how can I have more of that resource that's so limited to everybody else and how can I create a business model that allows me to do what I love but what James was saying was so many people are focused on in being in the business 
that they're never focused on on the business, working on the business. And if you're always head down in the business, isn't in the the business, you're not acting like the CEO. Like CEOs of companies aren't in there doing the PT. They're the ones that are making all the decisions. And what I really love about what James says is that um, for him, one of his things is going surfing every single day every single day without like no excuse he's out there surfing every single day and i was like i really appreciate that somebody else that is in business has made that commitment to themselves because what are you working for i remember when i first started my business i was working all the time and i never I was always working in the business and it was so much harder to grow the business when I was working in the business because I could never work on the business. I couldn't work on the marketing. I couldn't work on the branding. I couldn't work on any of that stuff until I started hiring coaches and I was able to focus on the business. That's really where the growth has came from. Um, and then not allowing my ego get in the way because if you want to be the best, you have to be open to criticism and Absolutely. and feedback and and taking everything. And you don't have to take everything because there's there's some people. Um, my business mentor always talks about uh, love me or hate me. There's no money in the middle. And right. I've had people that find me way too chatty. And at first, that's what? really I know, right? Believe it or not. Uh, but at first it really, really hurts. And yep. after a while I realized that I don't want those people because those are the ones that, um, they're probably, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but they're poor from, they're just not a good of, fit. Yeah. They're yeah. probably more of a logical based person. Yeah. And in that case, um, I started doing shorter, shorter Facebook lives, which was extremely hard for me because <laughs> I'm so chatty, but, um, you know, I was open to that and I was like, okay, if there's somebody that finds me really chatty and I like to tell a lot of stories because that's how people relate, but okay, maybe I should start doing some shorter videos because I might be missing out on those people that like, I do have a lot of logical based trainers because we make them do a personality test because the teaching styles are completely different from somebody who needs that rah, rah cheerleading to somebody that like for me, I, although I'm very chatty, I'm very logical based. My motivation, like if I'm about to hit a PR um, and and uh, my girlfriend who I was just at the gym with today, it's funny because she likes the rah-rah cheerleading motivation. Right. I fucking hate it. When right. somebody tells me, you can do it, I'm like, <laughs> no fucking shit. I wouldn't be trying this if I couldn't do it because this is like, you know, 97.5% of my one rep max and I've already done three reps at, you know, this specific way. So I'm more logical based, but that's beneficial to know for clients. Anyways, I've really rambled on there, uh, which (laughs) (laughs) very, uh, pointed out that I am very chatty. So I'll let you wrap this up. (laughs) (laughs) I could go on. So this brings up a, a, a couple finishing notes. Um, we know that you have a podcast that's in the works. So by the time this comes out, yours will be rolling along. Um, what is the name of your podcast? And go for it. Oh, it's called the Total Body Transformation Podcast. Okay, with Brittany Bird. So that'll be coming out. Look forward to that for the, the chatty answers, which we all love. And then what is the easiest way for people to get a hold of you? 
for business and for just information and social media following? You can follow me on Instagram. It's Brittany.aspire. So it's, uh, I'll, you can link those in yep, the show notes. In the notes. I spell my name not the way that Brittany Spears says. And, um, <laughs> and then on Facebook, it's my first and last name. So Brittany Bird. Yep. And you can link that in the show notes as well. Perfect. And if people want to reach out to you for coaching mentorship, and I know you've been quite successful with a number of PTs at helping them build their business, and I mean significantly, what is the easiest way to get a hold of you? Is it through your Facebook or is it direct email? Um, either or. Uh, I do check all my forms of social media okay. quite frequently throughout the day. Perfect. So I'll make sure that all those notes are out there. Um, you know, for me on closing, it's nice to have you on the show because a big part of our relationship over the last year, years, years, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been a while, uh, is the fact that I'm able to continuously bounce a lot of thoughts off of you in terms of self-marketing, self-promotion. You know, I just spoke with Bert Soren on the podcast and, and like I said to him, the, the thing that I struggle most with is self-promotion, but it's a necessary evil. And for me, the thing that I realized that if you're not good at something in this industry, you have to seek those that have those expertise. And it still comes back to letting go of ego because ego not only makes you often feel like you, you are better than you are, but ego gets in the way on the other side and you're scared to reach out sometimes for those, for those answers because you don't want to admit weakness. But I think a couple points that you hit home with that I'll close us out with that I think are really important is perseverance is something that you are adamant about. Perseverance and letting go of ego. And the thing that people have to understand is to persevere, you by default have to let go of ego. Absolutely. Right. And so I appreciate that greatly. I appreciate you taking the time. And thank you very much for being on Ecobolic Radio. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Woodski on his Instagram or at DerekWoodski.com.
Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Witzke on his Instagram or at DerekWitzke.com. 